Hello and welcome to this new episode from iGaming FM, the betting and gaming sector's talk radio show. And yes, I added betting in there for the first time, and deliberately so, as today we start out discussing Cheltenham, or more accurately, squaring the A's Ian Donegan chats to all sports' Alan Casey about the festival. With a characteristic change of tack, we then hear from Victoria Bonner, recently installed as CMO at Sporting Tech, and who is in conversation with Robin Hutchison. Third up, I speak with Kelly Keane of SBC and All In Diversity about International Women's Day and the hard-hitting video campaign All In and Squaring the Air have been collaborating on, backed, as you may have seen, by giants including Flutter, Kindred, DraftKings and many more. But before we crack on, a brief note about Ukraine. We don't discuss the impact of the situation there on the sector in today's episode. That's not because our Ukrainian friends and colleagues aren't in our thoughts. Just yesterday, Rasmus Sojmar, Carolina Peltz and Shona O'Donnell announced the GoFundMe for a charity supporting Ukrainian refugees. I urge you to add your support. You can easily find the details on Carolina's LinkedIn profile. So, to today's chats, which, as always, we try and shoehorn into 30 minutes or thereabouts. Get ready for the music. The Cheltenham Festival returns later this month, likely bigger and better than ever. Now, I buy wine by the label and pick horses based on whether I like the name or not. Thankfully, all sported CEO Alan Casey has substantially more insight to offer on the latter, as you'll hear. So we have Cheltenham just around the corner, uh, which I imagine is all hands on deck time for you. Um, horse racing obviously has this massive appeal in the UK and Ireland, but to what extent uh, is that interest replicated um, on an international scale? Being in B2B, the, your work is done in advance of the festival, really. So all the hard work on getting customers on board or getting new product out to customers is done up to, I guess, the week of Cheltenham. And then the week of, it's generally pretty reactive. So if there's no issues, if there's no customer problems, I can kind of sit back and enjoy it. So that would be the plan. This year, we have a new place model going live next week in advance of the festival. So we'll have a, a couple of weeks of testing that before Cheltenham. And then really, it's just being at hand if there is customer specific specific customer requests on pricing or place terms or anything in general, anything at all they, they want help on during the week. But other than that, it's uh, the hard work done and it's just enjoy the festival like everyone else. And in terms of international appeal, then it's an opportunity that's been missed, I think, by the rights holders in the UK at the minute. I would say there is great levels of international interest in the Cheltenham Festival in particular. We saw what the pandemic did show us is that there's a great hunger for content all over the world, to, you know, hunger for table tennis games, esports games. So Cheltenham, we have all the best horses in the world. We've got great storylines. There's so much editorial content, tipping content. The TV coverage is great for casual viewers. We have this massive opportunity to, to showcase the sport, but it's a hard and complex landscape for international operators to get the official data rights to. So currently, the official line is there's only one operator allowed to provide full race day data and streaming pictures to non-UK bookmakers. So that makes it hard, I guess, Monopoly is good for nobody really other than the Monopoly itself and then it's just difficult so you try to explain the landscape to an international bookmaker and no matter how much they want the content their kind of approach is oh didn't realize it's that complicated I'll focus on esports instead so I think it's it's an opportunity that has been missed over the last few years to really capitalize on the greatest week of the year you know the festival the race in itself is great content but it's probably not being maximized how we can get it to the international audience and looking at the different ways of simplifying the 
process for operators. You mentioned that, that a lot of them would have questions about pricing for you. In what ways is price latency and odds generation different in horse racing to other sports? Yeah, so horse racing is different from other sports. So, I mean, it's the same in terms of you get your baseline probabilities, you add your margin, you open your book, and then you adjust all the way to the start of the event. Where horse racing differs, I guess, is the information flows in a non-linear fashion. So what I mean by that in, in football, you know the two teams are known, fine, the fixture's there. Um, I guess the new information coming in is you know either an injury breaking in the lead-up to the game, but it's mainly the big price changes are announced on the team news, which is usually an hour before kickoff. Sometimes you'll see a price change two or three minutes before that hour, which might mean you know the team news was leaked or someone got information quicker, but that information then flows in into the market through bets and prices update, and you know there isn't many many more new information flows where. Whereas in horse racing, you have, I guess, information that trainers and owners can only know. And that information flows into the market, but it can be done, you know, at any stage once the market is priced. With Cheltenham, we have anti-post markets running for a long time. So, you you know, you can have bits, you'll often see, you know, the big drift on a horse and a Willie Mullins horse in one race because someone somewhere knows it's not going for that race anymore. It's got a different target. So that's why latency becomes even more important in horse racing because you have these, I guess you have to be, you always be ready once your price is up it's there a customer can have it so i guess you want to be able to react to your your own customers first and foremost you be able to see that bets know you know how sharp that customer is and then adjust your price accordingly but you also need to be aware of what else is happening in the market so if customers are hitting other bookmakers they're adjusting your prices you need to be able to update in real time it can't be it can't be a manual process a lot of these things happen overnight so you really need to automate your moves to market forces and your your own customer bets and i guess kind of the the final piece in horse racing you know your main liquidity in football is your asian books and then you have the exchanges horse racing you have the exchange a lot of liquidity and you have the bookmakers themselves but then there's also the tote market or paramutual betting and the biggest players on the exchange and the paramutual markets are the same they would have a presence going around to retail shops as well so what i guess some people don't realize is that you know it's not in their best interest to show their hand in the exchange early because that can then what they call kind of slippage or leakage it can cost what they get on the on the tote or the paramutuals so if the price is too efficient too early then it can cost them money betting into the tote so uh, these syndicates are very sophisticated on i guess when they bet how much they bet and you know they're, they're constantly optimizing what they do and when so you can't blindly follow an exchange because the exchange might not be liquid until five ten minutes before you know the main players in the exchange could could play the market completely different if for example it was a bigger paramutual betting market so i guess there's a it's kind of a, a lot more dynamic market with kind of those extra forces at play just looking at the domestic market then what can operators do to stand out from the crowd yeah so i think we've seen the last couple of festivals you've had people you know there's a lot of standout offers or kind of race one you know money back offers free bets Skybet has been very good at acquiring customers but there's been a move away the last one or two years because you know customers they're not as brand loyal as before if they see an offer they'll come take the offer and they'll go there's been a huge move to this match betting community you know sites like profit accumulator whereby they'll put up the offer they'll show you where to bet it uh, and they'll tell you what price and where to lay which exchange to lay it on go step by step this is what you do and you can lock in you know a five pound profit ten pound profit so that 
has led to sportsbooks having to get more uh, sophisticated or having a bit more thought about what offers they have. So what you'll see now, and I think what the, the best approach is, I guess, to try and have consistent offers daily during the festival to try and, uh, I guess, keep bringing the customer back. And then an important thing for, for me and what I've seen as well is that you need balance between the marketing team and the trading team. So mm-hmm. again, the marketing team, it's pretty easy to acquire customers for, you know, if you have a standout offer, you will get those customers. And then, so that's, again, move away first race. You can have like, you know, the Supreme is usually a fairly short price favorite, you know, two, three to one. And if you have a majority or free bets, all your signups in that offer, it can put the trading team in in quite a big hole from the first race of the week. So what you want is to give the customer's choice on which race and where they can avail of the free bets or whatever offer you have. And then that'll keep your trading team happy. Uh, your acquisition can still be high if it's an innovative offer. And then, as I said, it's, it's okay, then can you tie that to a free bet the next day? So I guess, yeah, the, the, the goal is to keep keep the customers coming back every day of the festival without putting your, your trading team under too much pressure. How they do that then, aside from just the normal free bet offers, you know, you will see, I mean, I think the extra place terms are, are standard now, uh, especially in the big handicaps. Customers look at that stuff, you know, sites like Odds Checker. Uh, I think customers are aware of, you know, how many places are on offer and as well kind of your place terms. So if it's a fifth versus a quarter, you know, sometimes customers won't take the extra place if they see it's a fifth. It's the psychology of a better is they're going to assume their horse is going to win. So uh, it's, I guess, knowing all these things, being able to optimize the, you know, optimize these and uh, bookmakers have the benefit of, you know, you can trial these things and figure out what what works best. You mentioned these great storylines that abound during Cheltenham. Do you have a sense? of what we'll be talking about this year um well uh, for, for me i think it could be well the, the the fight back of the english maybe could be the the story it's kind of been a whitewash uh the last few years and certainly last year so i think you've some some competitive english horses again this year that could i mean i think that the presbury cup betting is still fairly short price ireland but uh, i think it shouldn't be the whitewash that we saw the, the last couple of years Next up, Robin Hutchison chats to Victoria Bonner, new CMO at Sporting Tech. Robin sets it up nicely, as you'll hear, so I'll let him do the talking. Okay, I'm joined now by Victoria Bonner, old friend of mine in the industry. Victoria, um, many congratulations, the new CMO at Sporting Tech. Thank you very much. So what attracted you to the role and what in the longer term are your ambitions at the company? Initially, it was a meeting with Ivu, who's our CEO. There are... Meetings with people where you feel that there is a very strong connection with their ethos and your ethos. It's a very singular vision for sporting tech. And I have always felt that where I am best placed is a company that has a lot of potential, a very strong product and needs someone to be able to publicly highlight that. And that's my remit. So when I met with, with Ivu, I was very convinced with that. And um, the strategy is strong. It's very clear. So making a move like that gives me the challenge that I want and brings the expertise that they're looking for as well. We're obviously not a million miles away from International Women's Day. Vic, you're a prominent woman in the betting and gaming industry, more so now that you're a CMO. What do you think of this industry's challenge when it comes to diversity? It's an interesting question, and it's one that comes up quite frequently. There are ways and means about ensuring that there's a balance in any industry. And I think industries perform well when there's a balance. And we are a tech industry. Historically, it's been very male dominated. Certainly on a personal level, I've never felt that there's been an an issue 
But I do think that there is also balance in the approach. And the approach is very important. It should be inspiring. It should be motivational. If you're in this industry, then you're, you're ready and willing to, to contribute whoever you are. The best people should get the jobs. There's definitely a positive to having a balance. Okay, so Sporting Tech has uh, a very compelling offering, but let's be honest, it's not the only platform provider on the market. There are a lot of them out there. How do you cut through the noise of those competitors, particularly from a marketing point of view, obviously, and differentiate the marketing of your products and services? There are big players in the space, but ultimately, every single one of them has a slightly different offering. If you are a customer looking at opening a new casino, looking for a new platform provider, then a lot of it's going to be about the markets you want to enter, how customizable it is. And you're going to be looking at sometimes even small differences that support your particular business model and how they can tailor that, the kind of service they're going to offer you. Are they going to deliver you something and then leave you alone? Are they going to give you continued support? Are the markets that you want to service optimized by that platform? And when you know your product really, really well, you know the kind of people that are going to be looking for your product, then you define your target audience and those are the people that you're going to be marketing to. There's no point in marketing to someone that's very happy with their platform provider, but someone who is looking to open new brands, someone who is not satisfied with trigger points and understanding the trigger points and what will drive that that want to change. So in Quantum, we have a very strong product. We are already strong in LATAM and obviously regulated markets is a big thing for us. So when you look at our competitors, yes, there are some that specialize in sportsbook. Our platform is full service. So if you're in retail and if you have sportsbook and if you have casino, live games, esports, all of those things by via one platform is the kind of product and the kind of customers that we're going to be looking to service. Okay, interesting. I think you've been in the industry for about 10 years now. When you started working in this industry in marketing, what was it like then and what really has changed, uh, what stayed the same, but what's also changed in that intervening 10 years when it comes to the marketing of products and services? There's a lot of different routes that we can discuss on that, or a lot of different topics that we can discuss on that. Ultimately, when I started back in 2013, there were a lot of very big players and obviously on the B2B side and, and more from a studio perspective. But the number of smaller studios were, were few and they often weren't taken very seriously. So the marketing was trying to convince people that there was new content that was coming that would make them money and that players would enjoy. So, so that was different. But we were also pushing HTML5 games. Flash was still around. I think I've said it previously. So the talking points were very different. The markets that people or, or the way that games were delivered was very different. And that was really one of the, the talking points. People were very dismissive of some of the, the things that we wanted to discuss, which now seem very commonplace. And you say it and people would be like, yes, well, we know. Well, they didn't know back then. And trying to get some of the media interested in those talking points as well was more of a challenge. Whereas now it's a much busier space. So that cut through, it isn't about what you're trying to say as much as being visible at all. You can have an absolutely fantastic product, but unless you know the right routes to market, it can fall by the wayside because no one realizes. So you do need, you need marketing. You need to have someone that knows the space and, and how to reach those people. Whether it's lead generation, whether it's brand awareness, usually it's a combination of both of those things. You have a much shorter time to make an impact. And without marketing, that makes your life a lot more difficult. Now, I've been in industry a similar sort of time 
more it's growing the air a similar sort of time i should say and one of the big differences for me is social media when i came in social media was something that was very much b2c now it's something that b2b companies are taking far more seriously than they did and i know when you were at relax it was a big feature for you is that something we can expect from sporting tech as we move forward yeah i, th- I think if you dismiss the value of social media because you're b2b then you then you're missing something it's more about the way that you position it because ultimately the people viewing your social feeds are still people. So if all you're putting out is corporate messages, then it's going to fall a little bit flat. Again, you need to tap into to your audiences and what do they care about? And are you adding any value to their life by the posts that you're making? Content marketing, certainly on B2C side, has always been valuable. It's valuable for B2B as well, but you have to do it right. You know, if you think a lot of companies go, oh, we should have a social presence and then sort of flounder a little bit about what they want to put out, then that's not a strategy. That's just having a social feed. So doing it well, is it easy? No, it's not. Does it take a while? Yes, it does. Is it important? Absolutely. So what are the challenges around sports betting? Because I believe this is the first time that you've really done marketing around sports betting. A couple of people have asked me, you know, is it difficult to transition over from casino to sports? And ultimately, the answer for me is is no. With B2B marketing, it's about believing in the product that you're promoting. But whether or not it's sports or whether or not it's casino or esports or whatever it happens to be, it's about finding what is right for your audience and making sure that you're highlighting the strength of whatever the product is. So yes, there's touch points with sports now, and but there's still touch points with casino as well. You know, we do have the esports and we have retail. So there's a few points that are new. I'm passionate about sports as it goes. So for me, it's a welcome addition to to what I've done previously. So much of the talk so far this year has been about ICE, the movement of dates, and obviously various land-based companies saying they're pulling out. Where does sporting tech sit on the great ICE debate? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very clear for us. Events are critical. Uh, the sooner they come back, the the better for us. And in terms of advice this year, will we be there? Yes, absolutely. And there's opportunity in everything. There's hundreds of exhibitors at ICE. No one has a crystal ball to know exactly what it's going to be like when we're on the ground. But will we attend? Will we exhibit? Absolutely. Finally, I speak to Kelly Keane about the International Women's Day campaign that was launched yesterday. So it's great to welcome back Kelly Keane from, well, from SBC or from All in Diversity? What do we say? We can say, we can say from both. I'm from both. Okay, from both um, yeah. SBC and uh, All in Diversity. And to declare an interest, we used to work together reasonably closely at SBC for two or three years, which was very enjoyable. I hope you're well. Um, the reason you're back on the show and the reason that we're talking today is that um, it's International Women's Day next week. And yesterday, some videos have been released, uh, part of a new campaign that you're supporting around International Women's Day. People would have seen them, not everyone, but I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the campaign, how it came about, why it's something different for this year, perhaps, what people might be used to seeing and why it's needed, in your opinion. So the idea came uh, in October 2021. The industry was getting back to live events and um, we started to consider sort of where we were as an industry, I think. You know, it was a brand new day. We were coming off a pandemic, getting back together, doing business in a totally different way. Happy to be back together. And I think 
the sentiment came from, as we all gather together, are we being inclusive um, of underrepresented groups, in particular of women, right? We had talked about it long before the pandemic started. Um, and upon reflection, we wanted to ensure that as we get back together, that our businesses and the industry at large is supportive of everyone in the space as we come back. Yeah, the whole industry taken stock, right? They spent a long time looking in the, in the mirror. Exactly. Um, we spent a long time, you know, just talking about why it's important and hopefully, or it seems that that has landed and now it's really about the how and what do we do? And I think what better timing, what better way to draw awareness to where we are and where we need to be going than a day like International Women's Day. As um, I think we all know, sometimes we do it right. Sometimes we do it wrong, but this particular campaign, in my mind, is groundbreaking because it brings the entire industry together with the biggest names across the world. It highlights what's happening today through stories that we solicited um, from women working in this space. And it so, 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 let's be clear about that. Those you canvassed actual experiences from women working in the sector presently. Is that correct? Exactly. So in January, we went out and solicited anonymous stories from women working in the space. We did that through social media, our own networks of supporters, through through businesses we have partnerships with. And um, I think we received over 60 different stories from women in the space, stories of experiencing gender bias today. Now, we don't know where they came from or what country or what region, but the stories are pretty real. And then finally, I think it's the first campaign that we as an industry have undertaken that is actionable, right? It is, this is our industry taking a step forward, pledging to be better um, together, right? It's very, very, it doesn't happen very often that we do things <laughs> together and not in a, and in very much a collaborative spirit, right? And um, so I'm really excited to see what the industry thinks. I'm excited to have it go as far and as wide as possible. So so those, those quite shocking statements at times um, from what we've seen in the first video and from what I know is coming in in, in more um, releases, we put those in the hands and in the mouths effectively of some of the leading executives in the industry. You've not named anyone. Uh, you're able, I mean, we've seen some on the video naturally. Uh, you talked about some of the biggest companies in the world getting involved. Who, who can you name check there? We need names. Who's, who's putting their shoulder to the wheel? I'm not going to remember to mention all of them, but they are the biggest operator suppliers and associations out there in the industry. So you're talking about microgaming. You're talking about Lotto Land. You're talking about Leo Vegas, Flutter, Kindred. Um, we're talking about International Betting Integrity Association, National Council of Problem Gambling, Pinnacle. It, we've got CEOs from Africa for racing and Bitfield mm -hmm. games. We've got um, the CEOs that are based in Malta, based in the US. I mean, it covers all the big hubs within gambling. And, and how easy was it to get people involved? Um, I think the timing's right. One, uh, yes, we have a really good network with All In. Um, I'm also pretty fortunate to have a pretty good network with my work at SBC as well. But the message was right. And the message was also timely, I think. And it's, I think we're sick of possibly just seeing pictures of, of female staff and, and then forgetting about it till the next year. I think we're ready yeah. to say uh, enough is enough, right? It, yeah. This is real. And let's let's learn to celebrate a culture where we can call it out, right? Let's, it's, it's, let's be it's the quite tricky though, it isn't it? It's, it's tricky though, because the CEO or a lead figure in any company or organization chooses to say something positive about their the diversity in their company on any day of the year, we that should still be applauded, should it not? Are we saying that's bad or are we just saying that's not enough? Absolutely. I think we should always be celebrating our people 
all of our people, right? And how successful and how interesting as an industry we are. However, there's still things that are happening. And historically, and this is not just our industry, I think all industries have not brought it to light there, you know, it's taboo to call things out. And but unless we start to highlight the problem, very clearly, we can never eliminate it. And I think it's really important that these CEOs stood up to say it's happening today. And we're taking a stand against it. And what happens next then for this campaign? What's the you talked about it about taking a pledge about being better? The criticism, if there is any of days like International Women's Day or other similar marks in the calendar, there aren't many, but there are some is that they are um, episodic. What's different about this? Each of our videos that we're launching will culminate in um, a microsite where any business can take the pledge to be better, right? It is recognizing that gender bias or any kind of bias, be it racial, be it sexual orientation, is still happening, right? As humans, we all have bias, right? Recognizing it, but creating a culture where we can call it out, right? Where it's not shameful to call it out, that it's okay. And when we do that, then we become a better sort of community citizen, right? Those businesses are better. We become a better industry as a whole. And I think when you see the types of leaders that are already committed to this, it's very realistic for all businesses with our, our, within our industry to get on board, take that pledge. The microsite itself also has some resources for, you know, when you get to the how, how are we going to do it, be it um, recruiting different people into, into our companies or understanding more about International Women's Day and getting the tools to be able to recognize bias within your own businesses. They're all there for companies. So once they take the pledge, there's also, you know, the how is there for them as well. So just to rewind a little bit, we talked a lot about the companies. Uh, earlier, we mentioned where the source material came from, the survey that you did and the submissions you got anonymously from women in the sector. Now that the campaign is going live, what's, what's in it for them? What are they going to see? What's the throughput for those women that shared some very personal experiences i would say i would genuinely hope in my heart of hearts that when they see this campaign that they see a critical mass of businesses i would say the top 80 percent of the revenue that this industry generates i don't know that exactly but i would say that are good businesses wanting to end bias right now sometimes as humans we don't know it's occurring or we don't see it occurring but these businesses are committing to ending gender bias right and what you'll see on the microsite are, are, and you'll see in our social promotion of this campaign, our companies are talking about what they're doing internally um, and they want to celebrate what they're doing internally because it's a lot of work and it makes for a better company and people want to work for those types of companies. So I genuinely thank those women that put themselves out there. That's hard enough, but I hope that they do see themselves in those companies, right? That there is a place for them in this industry and that companies are wanting to end that and, and move forward as a better industry. I'm struck by the number of listed companies that are very, very careful with their messaging that have supported this campaign. Who've just said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. That surely has to be encouraging, right? Do you think we could have done this pre-COVID? Do you think three years ago you would have found this level of support? Or do you think that period of introspection and taking stock has actually moved the conversation on? I I don't know the answer to that. I I, I don't know if we would have been brave enough. <laughs> years ago to do that so where did the bravery come from then and we certainly would have been uh wouldn't have been as technically astute as we are now Stuart, um to be able to to get to these people anywhere and at any time but listen i think yes i think i think the message globally about supporting our people about 
and the pandemic has taught us that, right? It's, we've talked, you know, at nauseum about mental health and supporting our people in whatever situation they are and being open and flexible and all those things that support diversity and inclusion. I think that certainly helped because there is, you know, an empathetic leadership and all the things that we want. Um, we're now seeing something that's called a great resignation, right? Where people are considering more um, higher, uh, higher purpose when it comes to their work and what are they actually doing and what actually makes them happy outside of money, right? So these leaders, not only do they believe in it, but they, they have to believe in it if they're going to get the right staff and continue to be as big as they are and as, as successful as they are. But people will say eloquently, coherently, uh, why do we need International Women's Day? We're not over this now. Are we missing the point if we're taking one day a year to focus on this topic? What do you say to that? Is that is that is it? Does it will it always remain tokenism if there's one day a year when we're shouting it from the treetops? The one day a year, I think, certainly helps us draw awareness to the fact that it that bias and sexism certainly still exist in our in our workplace culture, but also in society. But I think. This particular campaign is not just one day. It's not just one week, actually. As I said, with the pledge and the resources that we're offering and the types of companies we have collaborating, this is just the first step. Come back in six months and talk about it, right? Let's come back and see sort of what has what has changed and what has moved on because I do feel that this campaign is groundbreaking enough that companies will start to look up and say, okay, it's time. Put, put in action all the things we've been talking about. Invest money, invest resources in it because there's so many reasons, uh, commercial reasons why we should be doing, but also social, you know, we are part of an industry that wants to be better and needs to remain competitive. So, so, uh, so when we spoke about that at Stamford Bridge in London um, in October, as you say, it w- really was the the long term payoff, the long term change that we hope to contribute contribute towards in some small way. I, I certainly hope that we've created the perfect storm. I think with the creativity and professionalism that comes from Square in the Air, um, the the message and the network that we brought to the table, but also the power that these CEOs are bringing and the power in, uh, to be able to awareness, not just in their own companies to let their staff know, but to show the industry that if, you know, if you're not with us, you're against us, right? Like this is important, right? And we're going to tackle gender bias as a whole and we're going to collaborate on it. Hopefully that does create the message that that we intended when we docked back in October. So thank you. Um, my, you know, most gratitude towards Square in the Air for coming to us with that um, and offering all those um, creative ideas and your profession, you know, your professional team to make it look the way we wanted it to look. Well, thank you very much. We normally, as you will know, we normally let the guests have the last word, but I feel really uncomfortable leaving it on a compliment <laughs> for us. So... Um... <laughs> Well, so, I complimented um, myself too. It's fine. Yeah, I complimented I, everyone yeah. else. So no, um, it was great. But no, it's uh, it, it's it's a very engaging and interesting campaign. I think all will agree. And as we can see from the interest it's generating, there are you know it's hopefully having the impact that we all believed it might. If you're going to use the soundbite, I think there was one soundbite that um, giving up is not an option and letting it go is not an option. Um, so we can leave it on that for sure because I think that is a really powerful statement. Thanks again to all contributors to this episode, to Alan, Vic and Kelly, as well as Ian and Robin for asking the questions. Until next time, thanks for listening.